Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Well, welcome to uh, Elevation Hills. Welcome online. My name's Prashan and uh, my wife and I, we lead our young adults here. Now, it's my privilege to kick off week two of our series, Paradox. Paradox. So if you were here last week, Pastor Miles brought a great word. And the amazing thing about this series is we're, we're really getting into the meat of the Bible. Did anyone receive a Bible, a paperback Bible, last week when you, when you turned up, or a journal? Right? Why don't you wave that in the air with me, even if it's your own, if you brought that? Amazing. It's, it's good to have something in our hand that we can just write on and really just put down what God's speaking to us in this moment. And the amazing thing about this series is it's a six-week series and we're going to have some speakers who are speaking over every, every week about another part of the book of Mark. So you don't want to miss a week because it's, 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 it's all connected. We're going to go through every week talking about what Jesus was doing and saying and really just trying to find out, what, hey, what's the book of Mark written by Mark? What does that look like for us today? Now, we've also started, as of tomorrow, a very, very cool, uh, uh, I guess, what would you call it, Graham? A tool? A tool? How to read the Bible. I speak from experience. When I became a Christian, I did not get taught how to read the Bible. I was given a Bible, but there was no one who sat down with me. And, And if you think about that, if you think about Jews... They attended the, the synagogue and were taught how to read the Bible. For some reason, today, we don't do that, but we are doing that as of tomorrow. We have Pastor Ben and Graham who are going to talk to us about how to read the Bible. There are actually ways in which the Bible was created to be read. So come along tomorrow night, uh, next Monday night, as we delve into some, some ways as to how to read the Bible. Because we want to equip every person here with the tools that you can take back into your room and learn how to actually connect with God. Now, there's no, there's no kind of framework of it, but there's definitely ways which can place you in a position where you can hear God clearly. Does that sound good? Yeah. Great. So we're going to get straight into the Word. If you have your, your paper book Bible or even your phone, uh, why don't you join me in Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. If you have a pen, definitely hold on to it because we're going to be writing in our Bibles today. We're going to be writing in our journals uh, my wife Paige reads my preach every time uh, to, to make sure that I am uh, cohesive. And she said, hey, this one is, this is a hard one. <laughs> I was talking to our team this week. I said, this, this preach smacked me in my face. It's one of those preaches that I felt really convicted preparing and I feel that it's going to convict you today. So please bear with me. This is, uh, I, I just pray that this is not my, my words and my, my heart is pure in this. Um, but this is from the Word of God. So we're going to start here. And it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we're picking up off the back of last week's message, which which Pastor Miles brought, which was a really amazing message on the complexity of the Trinity. And he unpacked how the Trinity was present in the baptism of Jesus. So we know that John, the Baptist, was present at the baptism of Jesus. However, as we read today, John has actually been uh, arrested. And and the Bible suggests that it makes way for Jesus to begin his ministry on earth. So that's where we are in the book of Mark today. 
And it's really interesting that the first time we hear Jesus say something that was recorded in the book of Mark, we read that he comes declaring and proclaiming this, that the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe the good news. So if you have your pens, I want you to uh, highlight this or, or kind of underline this because I believe that the first thing Jesus says, Mark is trying to show us that this is the tone of the book. This is the lens in which we should see Jesus in as we read the book of Mark. Scholars say that Mark wrote this gospel with the lens of highlighting Jesus as the strong yet humble servant. So at the top of your Bible, in your notes, I want you to write Jesus equals strong yet humble servant. So as we read and unpack this book over the next couple of weeks, we can look at Jesus through this lens, a strong yet humble servant. And we can see his strength portrayed in these very first words spoken. Jesus comes with authority, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Yet we know that he also came to humble himself on on the cross and die a sinner's death. And this is so opposite to what the Jews expected. You know, to truly understand what Jesus is saying in this, we need to truly understand the context of the Jewish uh, times at, at the time it was written. So the Jews were expecting a Messiah, someone who would come and rescue them from Roman, Roman rule, overturn the tables, and, and place and replace the kingdom of Israel back on the map. So when Jesus proclaims that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God's at hand, all of a sudden Jews start piquing their interest. This is, this, is the, this is the person that they were looking for. But all of a sudden Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, not the kingdom of Israel. So all of a sudden they, they think, is this the Messiah or is this someone else who's just a bit of a heretic? Because Jesus is saying, look, there's a kingdom coming but it's not one that's based on your physical power. It's not one that's based on your, on your nation. It's actually one that's got nothing to do with this physical world, and I will be the king of it. And it's not one that's only going to allow one person, the Jews. It's actually going to involve everyone, anyone who comes to me and repents and believes the good news. And the word repent here in the original text, if you have your pens with me, I want you to write repent equals turn away from something. So it's to turn your life around or away from something. And the word gospel means news that brings joy. So again, make a note of this. Gospel equals news that brings joy. So let's just take a step back and put this into, uh, put this all together to understand its intended context as if we were the intended audience. Jesus is saying the time has come for a new kingdom, not one that you imagined, not one that you expected, but one that I will create. So turn away from all the things of this world and believe in this news that will bring joy. Let's just think about that declaration for a a second. Because even though it's a declaration to the city of Galilee, isn't it true for us today? Isn't it true that it's time for a new kingdom? Not one where you or I are the kings or queens. It's not our empire that needs to be built, but God's. So Jesus is saying, turn away from the things that encourage you to build your own kingdom and seek mine. 
the thing about a gospel is that the world preaches one too. The world, the world has a gospel that it believes and it promotes as good news. You know, the world tells us that there's a way to have a better life. There's a way to have better relationships. There's a way that, you know, will give you more purpose here on earth. But the thing about the world's gospel is that it, it does not mention Jesus. It does not mention the eternity that we have spent with him if we accept his kingdom and his gospel. For example, I'll give you an example. There's an ancient Roman inscription that was written around the same time of Jesus and Mark. And it starts by saying this, the beginnings of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. It then goes on to talk about the birth and the coronation of the Roman emperor. And it highlights the things he did to change the world. See, a gospel was news of an event that changed things in a meaningful way for everyone. It's an announcement of something that happened in history and something that's been done for you that changes your life. So it's important to understand that the word gospel is not just a Christian word. It's actually something that describes good news that will change your life. But here's the thing, the, the gospel of the world brings good advice. But the gospel of Jesus Christ brings good news. Let me say that again. The gospel of the world brings good advice. Here's some things you can do to have a better life. Here's some things that you, you need to have a more successful life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Here's what I have done. So you can have a life that you don't need to do anything more. Here's what I've already done for you so that you can walk in freedom. The gospel of the world drives us to consume for ourselves, whilst the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to repent, to turn away from our lives as kings and queens of our own kingdoms and accept Jesus as our king by believing in his good news. Because it's through the good news of what Jesus has done in which he then invites us into his kingdom. There's nothing we can do to enter it ourselves except repent and believe. So today's message, if you're taking notes, is called The Invitation. Because we read today in Mark that Jesus invites us all into the kingdom of God. See, but the thing about an invitation is that it requires an RSVP. If you're anything like my wife, Paige, an RSVP is more of a suggestion than a requirement. <laughs> Anyone else like that? I don't know if it's because it's a French word and it sounds so airy and light, you know, return s'il vous plaît. It doesn't feel like someone's banging on your door to get an answer from you. So Paige sees that as a suggestion and often we turn up to an event which she hasn't RSVP'd to and expects to be seated or to have food and only to be told, you know, you didn't RSVP so we didn't cater for you. <laughs> and we see... We see Look, you guys are laughing because it's true. You've done it. You've been there. But we see Jesus inviting his disciples on a life-changing journey in verse 16. And we can go there together. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, and here's the invitation, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, before we see the RSVP to the invitation, I just want to bring some light to something because in Jewish culture, what Jesus is doing now is actually very countercultural. 
See, in Jewish culture, if you wanted to learn from a rabbi, you would have to approach the rabbi and ask them yourself. However, Jesus came as a different rabbi with authority. He knew that he would have to go and choose people first. And the thing about this is, I get it. If I was a rabbi, I would like to vet the people that came to me, you know? I would say no to anyone who was a little bit weird. If you're wearing Crocs, sorry, you can't be my, my, my pupil. If you drink decaf coffee, sorry, find another rabbi. You know, if you don't brush your teeth, even after wearing masks, sorry. By the way, it's good to see your faces. <laughs> uh, if I wanted these people to spend their life with me as I walked as a rabbi did, I wanted to know who I was choosing. But Jesus was different. He had a different type of authority. He wasn't a normal rabbi. And Mark is showing us this. He's showing us that Jesus came with a new authority that commanded a response. This invitation to follow Jesus that was given to the disciples at the time is actually the same invitation that was given to us. You know, if you're in the building here and and many of us have RSVP'd yes to Jesus taking control of our life. But here's the thing I believe. I believe that the invitation of Jesus is not just a one-off thing. It's actually a daily occurrence. Jesus didn't just come to be king of our world. He came to be king of our life. And this means letting go of our rule and making him the ruler. It means letting go of our kingdom and making him the king. It means accepting his laws, his direction, his commands. The invitation is here for us, but it's actually up to us to RSVP. And here's the paradox. RSVPing yes to the call of Jesus accepts that he will disrupt your life. That's a hard pill to swallow. It means saying yes to the call of Jesus on a daily basis will disrupt the plans that you have for your life. And we see this in in verse 18. It says that immediately, everyone say immediately. Everyone underline immediately in your Bible. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Here's disruption number one. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and Johnny's brother, who are in their boat mending the nets. And again, everyone say, immediately. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's disruption number two. There's many more disruptions in this Bible. Mark, in his language, uses the word immediately many times, trying to show us that the call of Jesus is actually something that we need to act on, that we need to respond to. We don't put the RSVP you know, on our fridge and, and kind of forget about it. It's actually a click attending, if you know Facebook events, you know. Anyone else just a little bit annoyed at people who don't click attending? Sorry, I'm not, I'm not here to vent. I'm not here to vent. <laughs> but in a world where we feed off the idea of making our own decisions, it's easy to think that we planned our lives to create some space to allow Jesus in. It's easy to think that we chose him without disruption. That we had the great idea to believe in him first. But when you think about it, that's actually not the case at all. 
I could probably talk to each one of you and you'd all have an amazing, beautiful story about how Jesus disrupted your life. And he stepped into your life at a time where you needed it the most and changed it and turned it 180 degrees. And Mark's showing us this, that you can't actually start a relationship with Jesus unless he calls you first. He actually speaks about it in John. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And this should invoke in us not a sense of pride or, or kind of you know, apathy. It should invoke in us a sense of eternal gratitude and thankfulness that even while we were sinners, the Father called us to his Son through Jesus Christ who came to die for each of us on the cross. It invoked in me a sense of just thinking, have I put the call of Jesus second as an addition in my life? And like, you know, when I thought my life was better or when I got my life in order, that's when I'll revisit it. Or have I actually placed God as the center of my life? And the, the amazing thing and the beautiful thing is, you know, Jesus doesn't wait for you to clean your act up. He meets you where you are. I feel like someone needs to hear that today. Jesus didn't wait for the fishermen to have showers. You know, he didn't wait for them to dress up in their Sabbath clothes. He didn't wait for them to meet him at the synagogue where they were praying and where they were hearing from the Torah. He met them while they were fishing. He met them while they were working and probably smelled bad and using colorful language because of the amount of fish they caught. (laughs) He met them at their most vulnerable, and he met them in a moment that was surprisingly mundane. Jesus won't wait for you to get your life ready for him. He doesn't need it tidy. He doesn't need it planned or prepared. He just needs a willing heart who trusts that at the end of the day, he is in control. Jesus took the first step into the lives of some seemingly ordinary men And Mark then shows us how they RSVP. The Bible said that immediately, everyone say immediately again. They left their nets, they left their families, and they followed him. Immediately. Have you ever had a moment where you immediately did anything? Let's just think about that for a second. There's not too many things in our life that warrant such a reaction. My immediately moment was when I first saw my son born. I knew immediately that I would do anything for him. I knew immediately that I would keep him safe and care for him, regardless of what that costed. I didn't weigh up the pros and cons. I didn't weigh up the cost that he would be. You know, I think there's a, a stat that by the time someone's 18, they'd be a million dollars or something like that. Like, I didn't say, do I have a million dollars and what's my growth plan for my business for the next you know, 18 years? I just knew straight away, immediately, that my life was going to change, but it didn't matter what it looked like, that I would be here for him. And you know, the call of Jesus disrupts your life quickly. It causes friction. It causes tension. It causes questions. And that's okay. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you know, I know you know just as much as I do, denying yourself is hard. So the call of Jesus to follow him 
actually means that there's an internal struggle between his call and the call of our flesh. There's an internal battle on a daily basis that happens. Do I choose God today or do I choose to build my own kingdom today? Do I choose God today or do I choose to build the world's kingdom and to look successful in the world? But be encouraged that the vision you have for your life will never compare to the vision that God has for your life. I will say that again. The vision that you may have for your life today will never compare to the vision that God has for your life. You know, most of you already know that Paige and I are we're actually moving back to Coffs Harbour in July. And, and when I first felt the prompting of God and the stirring of, of my spirit to move, the first thing I did was, was try and rationalise it. I was like, what do you mean, God? Like, there's nothing in Coffs Harbour. <laughs> like, it's a small town. Like, the ceiling for jobs is really low. That's why we left. There's, what do you mean? Like, we're leaving our church family. We're leaving our family and our friends to move back to a place where I'm like, yeah, it's great. The beach is there and, you know, Paige doesn't like the beach anyway. So what does that mean? <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting that we actually delayed. We felt God calling us, but we delayed making a decision by over-spiritualizing it. Has anyone done that before? Like, we actually knew he was calling us, but we fasted and prayed for a week. Seven days passed. I was hungry. <laughs> And you know what? Nothing. There was no answer. There was no moment of clarity. There was no voice from heaven. There was no verse where I could open the Bible to and it said, yes, you're meant to go to Coffs Harbour. <laughs> Nothing. And I'm not degrading you know, fasting and prayer at all. I'm actually trying to encourage you that the call of Jesus doesn't change. It doesn't change based on how long you pray for. If he's called you, if he's called you once, he'll call you in the same way again. God doesn't change his mind. He knows your future. He'll call and we need to respond. Now, Jesus met us in the mundane. There were no bells and whistles. It was just a quiet invitation to follow him. And because I've experienced God's goodness and his faithfulness in prior experiences, I knew that I could trust him even though I didn't see a light in that tunnel. We don't know why we're meant to be there. We don't know why he's calling us out of Sydney. But we know that he's trustworthy. We know that if we can put our trust in him, he will never fail us. My plans will, but he never will. So we had to deny ourselves in that moment. But what we've come to understand is the call of God may be disruptive, but it's eternally safe because he is safe. You know, we often get so caught up in what might happen if we say yes to the call of Jesus that we almost scare ourselves out of saying yes. But it's time to stop worrying about the outcome and start trusting that Jesus is safe that he knows what's going to happen. We don't know what will. The disciples did not have any idea what was in store for them. They did not know the miracles they would see in the three years that they followed Jesus. They did not know that most of them were actually killed for the gospel. 
Can you imagine if Jesus came to them and said, hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, but you'll also die because of what the gospel, like, because of what I'm going to do with you. Uh, look, if I was in that situation, I'd say no. I'm not as holy as the disciples, but maybe you guys are thinking that as well. Like, they did not know what they were getting themselves into, but they trusted that Jesus was the one who was trustworthy enough. They did not weigh up their options. They, didn't, they did not wait until their lives had more room in it to follow Jesus or when it was a good time. They did not place his call on the bookshelf to think or process it. They dropped everything. The Bible says immediately they knew it was time to follow him. So if you're asking the question, what is the call of Jesus? I want you to remember this verse where we see that the call of Jesus is to follow him. It's to follow him. Every day we must choose to follow Jesus or follow our flesh. To follow Jesus or follow the world. So when it comes to a situation in your life which may feel disruptive, that might require maybe some supernatural generosity or may require a surrendering of your plans for His, ask yourself this question. By making this decision, am I following Jesus or am I following my own desires? That is the lens that we can look at our decisions in our life and know that, we might be on the right track by following Him. See, following Jesus is not about moving things around in our schedule to make space for Him. It's about starting with Him and building our life around Him. It's about making Him your prize, Him your goal, and allowing life to form around who He is. It's about being able to respond immediately to his personal invitation and trusting that because God is a faithful God, your response would be honoured by him. How often do we think that God's going to place us in bad situations? How wrong are we to think like that? If we truly believe that God is a good God, saying yes to him will never be a bad idea. Sure, you might have some hard times. God's not absent in that. He's right there with you. You know, Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters. But he's also with you, with his staff. He's riding his staff. They comfort you. God will lead you, but he'll also stand beside you. So it's time to become a people who RSVP as soon as we get the invitation on a daily basis. Not just when it's comfortable or makes sense. Not if it fits into a five-year plan. You know, God needs women and men right now to truly trust him even when there's no visible light at the end of the tunnel. See, we don't trust God because He can make our lives better, but because He is trustworthy. That should be enough for us. We don't trust Him because it's what He does for us, but who He is. The invitation of Jesus will disrupt your life. You know, it may move you across the world without knowing why. It may cause you to be you know, give your whole kingdom over to Him. Maybe your whole business over to Him for His plans. But if you say yes to the invitation of Jesus, you start a journey of knowing who you, uh, who you were created to become. And you know, when intimacy with Christ creates your identity, through your identity, who you are, God shows you why you're here. 
Saying yes to Jesus not only shows you who you are, but why you're here. So we're actually going to sing about God's faithfulness in this next song. And if you're like me and if you're eternally grateful for God choosing us, then we're going to declare this as a prayer. We're going to make this our prayer today. It's all about God's goodness and faithfulness. And then I want to get up and I want to actually pray with us. And, and as Jesus said, you know, repent and believe. That, I believe repentance is a daily thing. And I believe that today we have the opportunity to turn away from the things that we have put first in our life and re-RSVP to the invitation of Jesus. So come on, why don't you stand with me as we sing and then 